listening to the official podcast of the congregation, a place of discovery with Pastor Tim Story. Uh, so um, before I introduce um, Joseph Mendoza, who is our engagement director, uh, he's a father, his, his uh, wife and his parents are here in the front row. Give them, give Joseph's family a clap, the Mendozas. Joseph is an uh, amazing man and a leader at this church and a part of our team. Um, and then after him, it will be Brandon Dalton, uh, who is um, not only someone I work with, but who is really becoming a really good friend of mine uh, and someone I really admire. Um, and then I'll speak, and then Pastor Tim, the leader of this house, will close today. Um, but I just want to just take 30 seconds and say, you know, sometimes in life you just have to celebrate life with God. Because, you know, life can be busy, but when you live life with God, I think you live a supernatural life. Because I think in God you gain supernatural powers. And so it was appropriate that we talk about that on Super Sunday. That in life there are superpowers, certain things that we receive as people of God, certain things that we live by as Christians, and man, when that super hits our natural and our lives begin to change, something so unique happens in church, in the body of Christ, that the whole world needs. Amen. So please help me welcome up Joseph Mendoza as he talks about the superpower of restoration. Thank you, Pastor Stefan. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Joseph Mendoza. I'm the engagement director here at the Congregation Church. Thank you. Happy Super Bowl Sunday. I'm blessed to be up here to be able to share a little bit about uh, what Pastor Stefan and I talked about the other day, a supernatural power that I believe and 100% and convicted that has changed my life. Can someone say the word restoration? restoration? Restoration. What does restoration mean? To restore, bring back, reinstate repair. I want to read a scripture that's been dear to my heart and that has cha helped change my life. And it comes from the book of first Peter five through 10. And it reads this way. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you had suffered a little while. And I pause there because that was a key sentence for me. It says a little while. It doesn't say you will suffer all the days of your life. It says a little while he will himself restore you, make you strong, firm, and steadfast. I don't know about you guys, but I believe that and I bought into it. And let me tell you, restoration is a process. It's a process. It's not something that happens overnight. It's not something that comes naturally. You have to do your part. And I'm going to share a little bit about my testimony and my story and my early life leading up to me standing here today. So I was a normal boy, grew up in Whittier, California. I don't know how many of you know Whittier, love Whittier. I know Pastor Tim, Pastor Paige, Whittier is dear to their heart. And um, normal kid, grew up in a normal family. Um, what I thought was to be normal, uh, later discovered I was growing up in an alcoholic home, which if any of you have ever experienced that, that was normal for me. That felt normal. The partying, the drinking, everything was normal. That was a way of life. And... Um, that was about to shift as years went on because in my sophomore year in high school, two, two major things happened. 
How many of you have heard the saying that you're a mama's boy? Anybody? Mama's boys out there? Well, I was a nana's boy, okay? I was my grandma's boy. And my grandma passed away my sophomore year in high school, and she was like my sanctuary. If I was in trouble, I went to nana. If I wanted Pioneer Chicken and Mario's Tacos and Pico Rivera, I went to nana's house. So nana was dear to me, but something else happened that year. My dad ended up getting sober that year. So there was a tragic event and my mom's mom passing away, but my dad ends up getting sober March 1st. And there was a tragic time and there was a time where our family was trying to get back on track. So for me, that was tough because it's like I'm grieving and mourning the loss of somebody who was dear to me, but yet my mom had to change and I didn't even know that right before my eyes. So as I go through high school, I do what I knew best, and that was resort to drinking, to partying, to drugs, to girls, to all the things that I was not supposed to do in high school. I did them, why? Because I found pleasure in it. There was something I was lacking, something I was missing. There was a void, there was a pain there. And I tell you, once I got out of high school, things spiraled real quick. I know a lot of us look forward to turning 21. Well, I got my first DUI when I turned 21. So that was my happy birthday, you've turned 21, now you're a man, now you've graduated, you've become something. 2002, I get my second DUI. I'm like, okay, slap on the hand, you know, mom and dad are upset, fast forward. 2007, DUI number three. Now I pause, there may be a problem, there may be an issue, maybe it's not everybody else out to get me, maybe there's a problem with me, okay? So now we go to February 10th, 2011, where my life was about to change forever in a tragic way. It took a tragedy for my life to shift and change. And today, I would not change that for anything. If I had to go back and replay that day, that night, the events that led up to that accident that almost killed me and led me to that jail cell where I sat for nine months. And let me tell you, this person right here is not cut out for jail. Okay, those of you who know me know that I am not cut out for jail, okay? You talk about supernatural strength, you talk about supernatural power, you talk about being restored, protected, God being with me. I hit my, I hit my knees in a jail cell, you guys, and I say, you know what, God? There has to be a different way. There has to be a different way. Your way has to be better, and I'll never forget when I finally got to my cell at night, in the bars, there was a Bible and a Purpose Driven Life Rick Warren book that I never knew would end up changing my life that night. I dove into the Bible, read it from beginning to end in two days. I told myself, you drank with everything you had, you gave it everything you had to live for that lifestyle. Now you need to read the word and you need to study and you need to build that firm foundation that that scripture talked about and it can start here. So I literally shifted. I shifted the mindset, the mentality that I gave it all to drinking. I'm going to give it all to the Lord. I'm going to give it all to restoring my life. I'm going to give it all to having a comeback. As Pastor Tim says, you know, the Mamba mentality, Kobe Bryant, let me tell you, that stuff's real, guys. It's real. It's a mindset. It's a shift. So, so little did I know that I would go through jail nine months, go to rehab for one year, 
Restoration, it's a process. God's working on me, working on me, working on me. You know, Felicia, who's my wife today, wasn't with me, working on me. Didn't even know if there was gonna be a relationship, let alone a marriage, seven years later. Working on me, working on me. You know, and, and now I finally, I finally get out. And it's like, wow, I gotta live life. I've never lived life this way. Life was always so different. It was masked, it was covered, it was so phony. It was the tale of two lives. And I tell you one thing, it was because putting my trust in God, standing firm on, on the Bible, standing firm on the principles and promises is why I'm here today. And it's, it's crazy because as I reflected, as I was going to come up here, I was thinking like 27 years ago when my dad got sober, he didn't know what he was about to do for the family. He was setting the family up. God had him setting the family up. 27 years sober, next Sunday... I'll be nine years sober. Ne never in a million years did I think my older brother would have celebrated being sober two years last year. So the family curse has now become what our family has stood for and what we have built our entire life up to this point on is Jesus and sobriety. My real birthday is turning 41. Those are great. I love the parties, but I tell you one thing, the sobriety birthdays mean a lot more than the actual physical birthday. And my wife, we've been together 10 years, married seven, and the saying goes, behind every great man there's what? There's even a better, stronger woman. And let me tell you, I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for her. <laughs> Everyone sees this, but they don't see the sacrifice and the hard work that goes on at home, raising our kids. Five kids, guys, five kids, stay at home mom. I leave every day and guess who's there raising the kids? When I leave, and I'm going to Tim's and I think I'm having a bad day or we think we're busy or we think, oh my goodness, life's hectic. I always think back, I couldn't be home taking care of those kids. I don't have patience. I don't have that. She has patience. I'm blessed. I'm super blessed. So thank you. And I'm blessed to be here. And I'll, and I'll end with this story. I met Tim Easter 2013 at a church, and I'll never forget, he called me to the back. I didn't know who he was. A lot of you don't know this story. I don't share it. He started weeping, and he said, you're my little brother who made it. I'm like, explain. My brother passed away from alcoholism. He died. You're my little brother who made it. I'm going to keep you by my wing. You're going to stay by me, and you're going to roll with me, and here I am today, eight years later. So, Tim, thank you. Thank you for seeing something in me that I didn't see in myself. Thank you for trusting me and treating me like your own kid. And I will forever be thankful and grateful, and I know my family will too. <clears throat> so in honor of that, I'm going to end with a couple Tim Story sayings. God turned my mess into my message. He turned my test into my testimony. Through my pain, I learned how to persevere. And more importantly, it was through my brokenness where my greatest blessings have come today. I'm done sharing with you guys this morning. Thank you.
Now I, I get the pleasure to welcome up Brandon Dalton. Can we please give Brandon a huge round of applause? Brandon is our junior high, high school ministry director. For those of you who don't know, Brandon is a phenomenal person, phenomenal husband. And I tell you one thing, my son loves Brandon. You can ask my wife. We hear about Brandon all the time in our house. I know basketball has something to do with it, but hey, if God can give and use Brandon through a gift that he give, gave him to play basketball, and that's my son's gift, and that's what connects him to Jesus, you guys, that's what matters. So... Brandon, you're up. Joseph, that was a powerful message, and um, thank you. Thank you for that. The, the check's in the mail. <laughs> Joseph said something powerful, and it resonated with me. The process. In Philly, where, where I'm from, uh, it, it says... Trust the process. Trust the process. That, that's what players will go into the, the locker room and come out of the locker room saying they would say, trust the process. And I had the privilege, so I stand up here on stage with a heavy heart and broken, but at the same time, there's peace because I lost a childhood friend in 24. But this message isn't about that, and it was a tragedy that took place last Sunday. But I was able to speak to his family a couple days later, and through the pain that I heard, I sensed strength. That can only be God. That can only be God. And if there's one thing that, 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 that Cobb stood for, <laughs> my wife and I, and I wouldn't be up here if it wasn't for her. Um, if we would laugh and joke about this, he would say, I don't care about the waves. Just bring the boat in. <laughs> if you only knew Kobe as a, uh, a basketball player or, or an author reading children's books up there, which I thought was really hilarious, but powerful. And I see all you kids here, which is phenomenal because Anything and everything that you have in you, you're going to need a superpower. And it's not going to be the, the performance or, or you have a, a band that you're auditioning for. You have a, a team that you're auditioning for. You have a recital that, that your friends and family are showing up to. Those won't be the things that you'll need your own ability for. You'll need God's grace as a superpower. It was phenomenal seeing him evolve, not just as a childhood friend, but as a parent. And I spoke to him not too, too long before the tragedy. And so when I say 24 from now on, uh, you'll know who I'm referencing, but it's even deeper than that. If we have the, the scripture that, that we could pull up, guys. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. 
while we wait for the blessed hope. Some say blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people, say people, that are his very own eager to do what is good. Say God is good. <laughs> Growing up in a Baptist church, they would say all the time. <laughs> right? God has a plan. God has a plan. But it's going to require grace. The Greek word for grace is haris. And it's a lot deeper than what most Christians think of the word grace. We think that, that it's just kindness. Someone's being kind to us. They're giving us grace when we messed that up, when we just didn't get it right. And they were so kind. But it's deeper than that. The uses that Jesus Christ references is that grace is a gift, a blessing brought to us if we receive it. I don't know about you, but I want to receive it. There's two different distinctions between a common definition of grace and that we look at it, when we hear favor, we look at it as unmerited favor. Or we look at it from a standpoint of when we first stepped into this world, right? When we were kids, we first stepped into this world. We took our first steps. And as far back as you can remember, it's merited favor. Now, as I break down what unmerited and merited is, keep in mind 24. Because we each have 24 hours in a day. In basketball terms, if you follow basketball, right, Will? Um, we have 24 seconds on a shot clock. You don't get that shot up in 24 seconds. You turn over. In life, we turn over. Days, we turn over. Times, we can't get back. We turn over. We turn over. 24 wasn't giving up 24 without a fight. That's the only thing he was turning over. Turning over time and time again. Turning over time and time again. Turning over time and time, and time again. After he scored or after he passed and the pass led to a score. That's a win. I come to win. He came to win. All of us, we want to win. But this is deeper than a game. It's deeper than a game. And as we celebrate Super Bowl Sunday, there are going to be two teams that's going to be battling for the win. 
There's a trophy, trophy attached to that. There's a ring. There's a ceremony attached to that. And we will be at home just rooting for our favorite teams. I see that Eagles jacket in the crowd, and I salute you for that because I don't have a dog in a fight right now. My wife's from the Bay Area. I don't have a dog in a fight. My boy Will flew in and literally came from the airport just to hear this. I don't have a dog in a fight. <laughs> but nonetheless, there is a ring that they're going to be competing for. And when they compete for that ring, that's merited. It's transactional. It's if you do this, you get the ring. If you go to school, you do well in school, you could get to college. If you get to college, let's take it a step further. You'll have a better chance of getting a really good job or, you know what, you might find something in, in those classes that, that you could start a business. It's merited. It's transactional. And when you have that, it's hard to switch over to transformational. My whole life, from the time I was a, a, a boy and I started playing like, like Pastor Tim, how many, how many of you guys love our, our senior pastor? And playing different sports, it started with baseball, and I, and I heard so many of those stories, and, and then it went to football, and then basketball was in the mix somewhere, and then it was the sole focus on football. Yes, I played football first. But in that moment, I, I was tired of picking my needed so much equipment to put on before going out there on the field. And I just didn't like the pain and the aches and the pain that I would just have from game after game. And it, I just realized it wasn't for me. Immediately, my dad said, hey, look, you know what? College is expensive. Pick a sport because I'm not paying for it. Right there in middle school, I realized, wow, I'm going to college? Seed was planted. Two, I need to earn it, merited, merited favor. And when you go through that and you spend your whole life doing that one thing, as I close, I say that, okay, it, it, took, it was hard for me transformationally to get and transform. And we're talking about superpower, transform and step in, step in, step into what God was calling me to do. There was a lot of times he was trying to call me, and the, the, it, like the, the landline back in the day, the, the signal was busy. But there's a call on your life. We have 24 hours in a day. As the great Mamba would say, I don't care about the waves, just bring the boat in. I'm done speaking, Pastor Stefan. Give Brandon another clap. Man, you made that easy for me. I'm just gonna coast on you. The superpower of restoration, the superpower of grace, and the superpower of love. You know, Paul writes about love. I was reading it just this morning, 1 Corinthians 13. Um, Corinthians 13 gets quoted a lot in marriages. It gets quoted a lot as kind of the verse on love. Um, but what's interesting about 
1 Corinthians 13 is that Paul is writing to a church in Corinth about the size of this church. And if you ever read the book of Corinthians, Paul talks about a lot of stuff. He is instructing, someone say instructing, the people of God as an instructor. And so he's talking about all these things Christians should live by, Christians should do, Christians should be. And he finally gets to a place in 13th where he talks about what matters most. And that's when he discusses love. And he talks about the power of love as the baseline that give rise to all the other powers. As the ground in which Christians build their faith. And as the ground in which becomes the catalyst of all our actions. And so that's why in Corinthians 13, Paul says stuff like, you can prophesy, you can lead, you can preach, you can do all these things, but have not love, you've missed the boat. And it's an interesting thing to say. Because as a pastor, you read all the things Paul's mentioning, and you go, hey, those are pretty good things to do. When people prophesy, man, that's amazing. When people teach, oh, that's amazing to see people come up in their gifts. When people lead, when people reach their potential. So why is Paul saying that we can do all those things yet have not love? We're missing it in some way. You know, the way we often talk about love today is we talk about it in the church as a duty. Someone say duty. This is the way I was taught when I was a kid, is that love was a duty. And some people do it fairly well, some people not so well. And we all struggle with it. It's this idea that it's love is a duty. It's that we know as Christians that when someone messes with us, comes against us, pushes our buttons, that we're supposed to love but that's kind of where our revelation about love stops, is that love is just a duty. And so in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul explains the next part of his thesis on love. And so he says, first, you must have love, which is advice. You have to act in love. But the second thing he says is that love is just not a duty, but... It's a destiny. Love is not just a duty, but it's your destiny. Have you ever watched a movie and then had somebody tell you the end of the movie? It's called a spoiler. <laughs> and a lot of times you'll read articles on Facebook because the movie will come out and there'll be all these articles written on a movie. And usually on the top line, there will always be a big sign that says, spoiler alert. Don't read this unless you want the end of the movie spoiled. Being a Christian is kind of like reading the review of life before you get to the end. And what I mean by that is that that's kind of what the cross does. Because Jesus goes to the cross and dies. He takes the sins of the world. He takes on all death and he and he essentially gets crushed by life in the form of a Roman execution, 
If there's anybody who goes through the worst possible version of things we can go through, Jesus does that. He takes responsibility for all sin in the world. He confronts all death in the form of confronting the greatest power in the history of the universe at that time, which was Rome. And in the midst of all that oppression, bondage, and pushback, the end of the story manifests itself. And the ending is that love wins. And so the cross is not only something, an event that changes the world forever, but what it does is it reveals to us what happens when we are in Jesus. So this happens to Jesus. He goes to the cross. He gets resurrected. That is our future as people of God. And so that's why Paul says, love. And he means it. He goes, hey, guys, and I love it with uh, what, um, what Brandon said. He, he, he read in Titus, Paul uses the word, we're the people of God. Well, what does that mean? It means that all of us have been touched by divine love. If you were listening to Joseph, that's what he was talking about, restoration is that what he found in that moment was the divine love of God. That the shame didn't matter, that the alcoholism didn't matter, that the failure didn't matter, but in the moment where he was the far, where he felt the farthest away from where he should be was the moment he was most confronted with the love of God. And in that love came his life being put back together, which is what we call restoration because as people of God, we know the heart of God, and the heart of God is God is a God who puts things back together after things fall apart, which is how we know love. So, for instance, God loves each of us. There is no journey you can travel, no distance you can go where you can unrun, outrun the love of God. And when you receive that love, it becomes the doorway to being the people of God. Because the divine love of God and his son become revealed to you and you become a part of that love. And when your life becomes restored, when you become renewed, you become an agent of that love. And that's why Paul says that in love, love is patient. Love is kind. He doesn't say you're kind. He doesn't say you're always patient. He says that the love that redeems you is patient. The love that restored you is kind. The love that orders your steps is grace. And that's why for Paul, love is not something that we do only, but it's our destiny. It's where we're headed. It's the end of the story. It's that love wins. And when you have that in your heart and you begin to see it manifested in your life, it's hard for somebody to throw you off. Because you'll see somebody struggling, and they could be struggling with something really hard, Sometimes you see people struggling with shame, which is a, 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 they have a belief of a discount version of themselves that they are manifesting in the world, but you see them the way God sees them. It's like a mother looking at a son. 
The son might not know who he is, but the mother does. And that's how it is for us, is that we have been touched by love. And we know the end of the story. We know the destiny of where all this goes. Guys, I hate to break it to you, but the destiny of this church is resurrection. The destiny of the people of God is redemption. That's what happens in this story. And so when we know that, and it begins to shape how we view ourselves, and it begins to shape how we view other people, it, it will shape the way we treat people. Because it's hard to get affected, and it's hard to sweat a situation when you know the ending. You know, it's like watching a movie. Again, it, it changes from to I can't wait to see how he gets out of this. And the same is true for us. Love is what we do as people of God, but love is the destiny which we will reach as people of God. Amen? And it's not only the destiny, but love is the language, someone say language, of the present. Paul, at the end of 1 Corinthians 13, he says one of the most honest things I've ever read. Because sometimes when you meet people, um, particularly people of faith, you ever met somebody, they have an answer for everything? It's exhausting. <laughs> Life is complicated, you know, and you got to work through stuff. So when you meet with someone and they have literally an answer for every single thing, I go, maybe you don't have all the answers. And so Paul says something super honest, and we should all... I'll brace it, and if, Hannah, if you could put it up, is that Paul makes a, he says, love never fails, and he goes, but where there are prophecies, they will cease, where there are tongues, they will be stilled, whether there is knowledge, it will pass away, for we know in part, and we prophesy in part, translation, the great, the victories that we have in our lives are great, but there's always a time there's always a time on the shelf, so to speak. There's only so much victory because most things in life are limited, right? When we work things out in life, we'll always get to a certain point. But at some point, there needs to be an eternal factor. Next one. For now we see only reflection as in the mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Man. For now I know in part. Then I shall know fully even as I am fully known. All throughout Corinthians, Paul uses this metaphor as a way to try to explain to the Corinthian church, who is just like us, exactly how to understand this idea. And what he says is he compares it to the Exodus. And we all know the Exodus story, right? A nation in bondage gets called to the promised land, and then they have to journey towards the promised land. That's the Exodus story. And he says, just like the Exodus story was true for Israel, the same is true for us. Is that sin and death and the fallenness of this world is the bondage. The promised land is the new world God is building through the, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as Christians, we're in the middle of that. 
We have to contend with the desert, but we know the ending. We have to deal with the complexities of life, yet the Holy Spirit is with us, pulling us into. Translation, we are members of the new world God is building, but we are learning the language of love now. And so that's what we do when we live in love, when we choose restoration, when we choose forgiveness, when we choose grace, when we spend time with God. It's what Paul says in um, Philippians, where he says that we're citizens of heaven. He's saying that you are citizens. You are a part of heaven. You are a part of the way in which God is going to redeem everything. And you are right in the middle of it. And the language of how that new creation is going to work is going to be love. That's the language that they will speak in that new world. And so as we speak love, we are learning and walking in the language of heaven. And so everything we do, as I said a few weeks ago, matters. Every time we choose to support each other, to love each other, to walk in grace, act in grace, believe the best in each other, speak life into each other, support one another, every time we operate in the language of the body of Christ, this world and God's world get closer, and heaven and earth begin to come one in this house. I'm done preaching. Give the Lord a clap. Pastor Tim. Let's stand up and, and give the Lord a big clap for what he's doing. Clap for him with everything you got. Thank God for restoration. Thank God for grace. Thank God for love. The idea of this church is to do a Jesus-style church. I got a chance to travel the world for 38 years to the biggest churches in the world and see that most churches were built on one man or one woman, and they had a lot of people around them, bodyguards and people with little Wi-Fi saying the pastor's coming. And I said, I'm going to be the complete opposite. I'm going to stand in the parking lot with Pastor Phil and the crew and talk to people and joke with people. And it will not be about one pastor, but it will be about Jesus Christ. Clap your hands like God's very powerful. Thanks for listening to the Congregation Podcast. For more information about the congregation, including gathering times, locations, and how you can give and support the community, check us out online at www.congregationchurch.com.